0: So tonight's Dharma talk is on living wholeheartedly. And just to start and describe that about two years ago a poll was taken and it came out in the Washington Post and it was a poll of elderly people and the question had to do with life regrets. And the majority of respondents said that they had way more regrets about what they didn't experience than anything they ever did. Carl Jung writes, nothing has a stronger influence psychologically on their environment and especially on their children than the unlived life of the parents. So there's this saying that if you can't get out of it, this life, get into it wholeheartedly. No, Because those are your options. And so tonight, in, in kind of exploring this theme of how do we live with more of a fullness of heart and mind, mindfulness, heartfulness, just to explore that, um, how to recognize in a personal way the ways we pull back, and how to have the courage to really engage. So we begin with a reflection, just so it is a personal kind of inquiry, if you will, just to close your eyes. And reflect on circumstances where you do experience wholeheartedness. It might be with certain people, certain activities, certain places where you sense yourself engaging with a real willingness kind of yes to this moment and sense what it's like quality of presence when you're engaged. And then taking a look at today, and just looking at today as if this was the last day on earth for you, and just sense how much you were here for it, not with judgment, just a kind of an honest and interested looking, where there was engagement, where there was presence, where there was a kind of sincere being with life, versus how much of a sense of kind of sleepwalking through parts when we do our normal routine getting things done, getting through the day, but aren't really genuinely there for it enough open your eyes it's usually at death or at major life junctures that we get fully that sense of where there's regrets or where there's disappointment but for many there's this vague undercurrent that's always there of sensing that we're not quite in our lives, that we're in some way looking through a window, that there's not a a full involvement, and there's some sense of disappointment, that in a way that we had hoped our relationships don't have quite the full flavor of intimacy or communion, our work isn't fully gratifying, we're not living moments really rich with meaning. Um, This is really a kind of pervasive type of disappointment that people feel of not living fully, and Rumi writes of it, and I just... This is one of my favorite of his poems Um, These spiritual window shoppers Who idly ask, how much is that? Oh, I'm just looking They handle a hundred items and put them down Shadows with no capital, no investment they make What must be spent is love And two eyes wet with weeping But these walk into a shop and their whole lives pass suddenly in that moment in that shop. Where did you go? Nowhere. What did you have to eat? Nothing much. Even if you don't know what you want, buy something to be a part of this exchange. Give yourself up for something. Start a huge, foolish project like Noah. You never know when it comes in handy. And I'll tell you one more thing. It makes absolutely no difference what other people think of you. They haven't been right before this, have they? So most everyone I know, at times at least, is going through the motions. And it's valuable to notice. It's really important to have that quality of reflectiveness, to sense, ah, so this is when I'm sincerely engaged when I'm really here living this one and when we're not the word sincere is an interesting one because the more I practice the more I sense oh, when I'm happy I'm feeling sincere and it has to do with feeling real in some way it comes from a word meaning without wax and it's, it turns out and I just found this out um, last century in Europe, the way they dealt with plates and bowls and so on that were chipped or cracked was they covered them with this layer of wax so to be sincere with all our chips and cracks means to be you know without wax without covering just as we are natural. What we know though is um, we get scared so we kind of pull back from that naturalness and have a persona and a presentation, and don't feel part of the mix sometimes. This life is a test. It is only a test. If it were a real life, you would have been told and you would have been given more specific information about where to go and what to do. (laughs) This life is a test. So we have this habit of controlling of trying to control our experience and, and a sense that it's a risk to let go into it it's a risk to live fully to feel the depth or fullness of our longing or our loneliness it's a risk to really express love I mean we sit and we look at each other and talk to each other and there's not so much to say I mean mostly we're kind of saying are you in there and here we are that's the experience but but we're afraid to acknowledge what's what's really happening. We're afraid to play, you know, so we kind of uh, afraid to really give and be generous. There's some way that we're protecting. We're holding back some. Joko Beck has a great description of pilots and they're um, in this kind of storm of swirling winds and so on and, and the difference between Attempting to deal with these huge life energies These awesome weather systems that we're in To deal with them by frantically trying to deal with the control panel Are just letting ourselves glide You know, really be carried by the winds Feel them, become them Now the end of the story for either pilot Either way is the same, right? And we're all going to die But who's having more fun? (laughs) In one, there's struggling. There's grasping. In the other, there's ease and freedom and an eternity of moments to live fully. This is Helen Keller. Security is mostly a superstition. It does not exist in nature, nor do the children of men as a whole experience it. Avoiding danger is no safer in the long run than outright exposure. Life is either a daring adventure or nothing. So we all have tasted what it's like to feel really alive, feel like we're in the adventure, like we're, we are the dance. It's not even like we're watching it or doing it, it's just we are it. And it happens when we're available, when we can, available to be touched, available to touch. You know, it's the moments that we let ourselves be touched by sadness or humor or beauty. The moments of gratitude. There's a feeling of abundance then. So we have to be here. In order to do this practice of living fully, of living the adventure, we have to be here. And when we are, there really is this sense of that this universe is overflowing in generosity, that there's lessons in each moment, that the next lesson we need is right where we are. It's all very perfectly designed. So I had this interesting experience a couple days ago. I was flying back from the West Coast where I was teaching at Spirit Rock and... um, In a pretty good mood. It's beautiful out there, and I'd had a week to kind of, you know, be in this process of here we are waking up together. And so I got onto the plane, and I was kind of feeling a friendliness towards whoever and whatever. And I sat down in my seat by the window, and uh, the guy that sat next to me was a very, very tense looking businessman. And then the person next to him was this um, kind of real vivacious um, woman and so we all kind of went into our own world as you do on a plane and I kind of started I was working on a Dharma talk and realizing I didn't have a book I had meant to buy so I was kind of frustrated and um, she got into reading the Bible and he got into drinking wine reading magazines and after he had drunk a certain amount of wine he started engaging us, or trying to engage us, and um, asking us, what do you do, what do you do, and uh, she turned out to be a a conservative Catholic who is the head of religious education in a major diocese in in Washington, and um, I'm whatever my mix is, and so he kept drinking wine, and finally, he just fell peacefully to sleep, (laughs) but she and I... Had this wonderfully spirited exchange. It was it was great. Any of my preconceptions about what it meant to be a conservative Catholic kind of went by the wayside. Um, we had a wonderful time, and then at the end, when we kind of faded out, she said, "Oh, here, I just finished this book. I think you'll like it." And she handed me <laughs> the book. <laughs> so um, her generosity was really touching and sweet. And there was this kind of moment where my mind went, whoa, you know, <laughs> which happens. I'll tell you another story of synchronicity with a different flavor. This is a story, um, and it's in Stan Groff's book uh, about the cosmic game. It's a story about American astronaut Neil Armstrong, the first man to land on the moon, Descending from the lunar module just before his foot touched the surface of the moon Neil Armstrong said his famous words one small step for man one giant step for mankind It is much less known that as he was climbing back from the moon surface into the lunar module He muttered another sentence good luck. Mr. Gorski after his return to Earth, curious reporters inquired what this sentence meant, but Armstrong refused to reveal it. Some thought it might have been addressed to a Soviet cosmonaut, but there was no one of that name. After frustrating efforts of the journalists, the entire affair was forgotten. Last year at a party in Florida, someone brought it up again. This time, Neil Armstrong felt free to disclose the meaning of the sentence since in the meantime, Mr. Gorsky and his wife had died. Here's the story. When Neil was a boy, the Gorskis were their next-door neighbors. One day, Neil was playing ball in his backyard with his friends. At one point, the ball landed in the Gorski's garden under the open window of their bedroom, and Neil was appointed to retrieve it. The Gorskis were in the middle of a heated argument. As Neil was picking up the ball, he heard Mrs. Gorsky screaming, Oral sex? You want oral sex? You'll get oral sex the day the kid next door walks on the moon. <laughs> <laughs> so, what's the lesson of this story? <laughs> it's beyond our conceptualization how this is all happening you have to live it you have to live the moments because when you try to use the mind to figure it out it falls short what we're trying to grok is bigger than our mind so living wholeheartedly means being willing to experience life directly to not live in concepts to say Yes, to this moment, in spite of an uncertain world, given an uncertain world. Now, why doesn't uh, being a fair weather friend to our life work out? I mean, why can't when things are good, then we get wholehearted, and when things aren't good, then we just pull off and you know let the storm pass by? You know the experience of trying to control the show any time. We're really trying to control things, control ourself, control others. It's not possible to enjoy, really. We can't control and have that openness and receptivity to, as they say, save, serve, save, and savor the moment. It takes a receptivity. So our habit is to be armored if that's the case, it's difficult to be touched. So how to risk being here more, which is really the path of meditation. It's, it's having the courage to be here, given that being here means being and experiencing imperfectness, making mistakes, dying. It's really how to open to the 10,000 joys and the 10,000 sorrows. Thomas Carlyle writes, It is good to use best china, the most genuine goblets, the oldest lace tablecloth. There's a risk, of course, any time we use anything, or anyone shares an intimate moment, or a fragile cup of revelation. But not to touch, not to handle the artifacts of being human, is the quiet crash, the deadly catastrophe. Where nothing is enjoyed, are broken, are spilled, are spoken, are stained, are mended. Where nothing is ever lived, loved, laughed over, wept over. Where nothing is ever lost, are found. So in meditation, when we practice and attempt to to be here to take the risk, to really open fully to the winds and energies of this moment we end up seeing first, in living color the ways we leave We see how we pull away That's really meant to be that way It's not like it's a mistake We try to sit down and what happens? We go off and we drift You sat here tonight, it's easy to get lost in thoughts Most of us do it We fight what's happening. We feel a pain, and we spend our time trying to organize how to move our body, or when is the bell going to ring, or you know, we just go off. We leave very, very quickly. Worry thoughts, planning thoughts, what's next, judging, meandering. When we ask that basic question, you know, what what's what's wanting attention, and this is a question that's not analytic. It's the question to bring us back into what's real What do we notice? We notice the fear, the wanting, the restlessness, the sleepiness Our healing and freedom, our wholeness Is possible when we stop running from what's there So much of our practice is sensing how we're running And being willing to go, okay, just stop Just let go into what's here this moment, to feel, to listen to our hearts, to see ourselves, to see each other. It's a way of saying yes. What makes us willing to do this is the key thing. And that is that we each care about being alive. We each love life. We wouldn't be here tonight unless there wasn't a seed of this caring about living. It's our deepest aspiration to live fully, to really be this life fully. We cherish those moments of sacred presence when we're fully here, and yet we have all the conditioning to leave over and over and over again. So one way of understanding what is a spiritual path, it's the means by which we come back again to what's true in this moment, to the aliveness and truth of here and now. In the Buddhist tradition, there's um, hundreds and hundreds of Jataka tales, which are tales about different incarnations of the awakened Buddha. Here's one story. There was a good merchant who lived in a village in North India and he was in a shop and through the window he saw luminous very radiant being kind of walking across the town square and that being radiated compassion and there was something about the sense of that being that reminded this merchant of what he most cherished so he had the sense that he really wanted to serve something to this being he really wanted to connect really serving compassion you know in, in the being and in all beings so he carefully prepared a platter of uh, what would nourish this person and started walking over the town square towards him and then after several steps a huge chasm in the earth opened up the sky turned dark and all these demons started appearing in the air, dancing in the air—horrible, horrific images and phantoms and ghosts and demons. And the voice of the of Mara, who's the you know enchanter, seductor, um, came down from the heavens, saying, "Turn back, turn back. This is wrong. Don't go. It's dangerous. Turn back." He was about to turn around when he remembered that sense in his heart of that longing that longing to really connect with compassion to open, to awaken, to serve that whole awareness, which is what he was trying to do. He remembered the goodness and rightness and truth and depth of that feeling. So very carefully slowly he took several more steps towards this radiant being. The display of demons vanished and he was standing in front of this luminous figure, um, who who says to him, "Well done, well done, Bodhisattva. You know, awakening being. Um, walk on, walk on, through all the fears, through all the difficulties, and you will know a freedom and peace beyond all your imagining. Follow the call of your heart." on all spiritual paths, the energy that awakens us up is this basic aspiration, this longing. And we can tell intuitively the difference between this deep longing to to wake up, to be free, to be of benefit to others, and the wants that have a tension and a grasping and a sense of separateness about them. We can tell intuitively. There's nothing bad about the wanting, it's just not all of who we are. So the moments we drop down to the depth of the power of that core longing are the moments that we begin to really open to freedom. So now another reflection, if you will, to sit in a way that you can go inward and pay attention. to reflect on in your life what it is right now that in some way feels risky or difficult, but it's important for you to show up for, to live well. It's important for you some way to be more fully present, for you to take the risk and be here. An area that in some way you've been holding back on For some, it might be being more expressive of love with a person or more honestly disclosing. For others, it might be that the risk is to leave a situation that's not healthy. For some, it might be committing more deeply to something you know in your heart is important. For some, it might be facing an addiction. What in your life right now is your edge where it's it's risky to really face and open and be more fully there for. And as you sense what it is, and you can just choose, if you have a whole lot of them, just choose one. Most of us have quite a cluster. Choosing one and sensing what makes it important to you to go ahead. I mean, why are you drawn to, to considering showing up more? What's important about it? What makes this a worthy risk? See if you can connect with the the aspiration for living that's under that for becoming whole for becoming free We each know that those times in our life that we've connected to our deepest love or truth, there's a willingness to stretch. Sense your aspiration. What risking then makes possible And then imagining the actual movement towards taking those few steps like the merchant did towards presence, towards showing up in this particular setting or with this person or whatever and sense what's difficult, what has stopped you with honesty, and begin starting where we are with saying yes to this, with tenderness, with friendliness, including the fear or the resistance or whatever it is. We can breathe in and let ourselves feel, yes, this too, including what this is. Breathe in, breathe out, and give it some room. Just let it be there, let it float in your being. This isn't about steamrolling over resistance. It's about moving towards what's our truth, where our heart's calling and opening to our fears, including what's there. Yes to what arises, breathing in and feeling what's there. Offering kindness, space, Even if it's hard to connect with just the intention to see what's important, to offer care to your being. It helps to envision and sense even more specifically what it would be like to risk letting go into this more fully. Taking the risk, making it very specific, and then opening to what arises and receiving that with tenderness. Breathing in, feeling whatever is true right now. It can be fear or numbness or confusion. Breathing in what's true. Breathing out and offering care and space. There's no right or wrong way to do this. It's just to be with what's true. Imagining, if you will, now all the beings in this world who are facing a similar fear or resistance, the fear of intimacy, the fear of being rejected, the fear of failure, whatever it might be, the fear of not being good enough, all the other beings. And see if you breathe in now that you can breathe in and include their fear, their pain, their discomfort, wholehearted, saying yes to what's true including our resistance to life imagine other beings, you know them even when we get lost thinking we're the only one we're all in it together, breathing in for all of us the fear, the armoring and the resistance breathing out and offering care Offering a sense of ventilation and space. This is called tanghalin, this practice of opening to what's true within our own beings, opening to the suffering, the challenge that all beings face, including it in our awareness, offering compassion. We close by coming back and imagining again the place in your life, the challenge, the place that feels risky. And again, sense what it would be like to take a few steps, like the merchant, carrying with you that sense of aspiration, why it matters. Bringing the courage and the care. Seeing what's possible. So um, I'd like to take a few moments before I continue to check in, and if there's anyone that feels willing to um, just describe what you noticed in trying to approach a risky situation, an opening to what was there, just what occurred for you, um, you're very welcome to share. If you'd like to, though, to see if you can speak loudly, is anybody that would like to? Pretend there's only three people here. If we had a longer period of time, we could do it in pairs, but we don't. Um, Yeah, please. Thank you. Fear number one of the whole universe. Anyone else have that fear? <laughs> Anybody else want to say anything? Now that we're breaking through resistance is like wildfire. <laughs> you a question. Did you find that there was a difference after you included all the others that had a similar fear? Anyone notice that? Yeah, I see some nodding. Madison said it was easier. I'd like to just mention a little more about Tonglen the only way that we can take a chance and be all that we are is to open to what's going on, to say yes to what's there. So we begin the Tonglen practice with sensing where there's a challenge, where there's pain, fear, suffering, angst in some form, and saying yes, we breathe in and say, okay, I'll receive this, not push it away. But breathing in naturally leads to breathing out, to we breathe in and feel what's there, And we offer it care. We offer it space. We offer compassion. We then open it to include all the others that are experiencing the same. Because the truth is, we all are. And the delusion is that we're alone and deficient. So there's a real wisdom that comes when we begin to recognize that we're all in this together. And it helps to release some of that identification that keeps us small and afraid. Quite a beautiful practice and one that is gradual and done over years and years. We develop this capacity to kind of truly breathe in and let this life be felt. We have so much conditioning to tense against what's going on. So just to practice this kind of saying yes, letting it in. Our habit is to avoid what's uncomfortable and unsafe So it really takes remembering the aspiration That we really want to live fully Uh, To do it at the beginning of sittings, at the beginning of a day, right? When you're about to embark on something When you sense an arena that's risky May this tube serve awakening may I touch sacred presence, may I be holy here, sincerely here it's a power in this universe to to articulate within that kind of intentionality now the biggest reminder for most of us of what really matters, the one that even if we've been way out in left field rivets us back into what we cherish is the specter of our mortality Is impermanence. Anyone that's had anyone close die knows that death reminds us of very much how precious this moment is. We're much more courageous, much more willing to live when we remember that it's passing quickly, it's sand slipping through our fingers. So this book that I wanted to get and read actually before this class Um, that many of you I think have heard of and some have read is Tuesday with Maury. How many have read it? Great. Great. Well you might want to read it. It's, It's really quite beautiful and it's really the story of the teachings of a dying and wise man and his basic teaching is once you've learned how to die, you've learned how to live. Once you've stopped resisting what's true, open to what's true, open fully to what's true, you've learned how to live so how to stop sleepwalking acting like we have endless days which we don't and really wake up. So here's just a short excerpt for you. Maury nodded toward the window with the sunshine streaming in you see that? You can go out there outside anytime. You can run up and down the block and go crazy I can't do that. I can't go out. I can't run. I can't be out there without fear of getting sick. But you know what? I appreciate that window more than you do. Appreciate it? Yes. I look out that window every day. I notice the change in the trees, how strong the wind is blowing. It's as if I can see time actually passing through that window pane Because I know my time is almost done, I'm drawn to nature like I'm seeing it for the first time. He asks himself every day, Is it today, little bird? You know, it's as if we have this bird sitting on our shoulder reminding us we're going to die. Learning how to die means to accept to open to this moment fully. And one of my teachers, Joseph Goldstein, says that the limit to what we can accept is a limit to our freedom. And that's a good one to reflect on. Learning how to die, how to accept, means relaxing our armor, seeing where we're blocked, It means not thinking we're so important or that what we're doing is so important. I get amazed that I scurry around thinking, taking very seriously what I'm doing. And, um, you know, it just isn't all that important. This is uh, Carlos Castaneda Death is our eternal companion, it is always to our left at an arm's length. It has always been watching you and it always will until the day it taps you on your left shoulder. The thing to do when you're impatient is to turn to your left and ask advice from your death. An immense amount of pettiness is dropped if your death makes a gesture to you or if you just catch a glimpse of it or even the feeling that your companion is there watching you. so we know this I mean there's a reason that we talk about wholeheartedness and we go right to death because what reminds us to live fully what wakes us up out of the trance that we all get into each day Carlos, I mean Stephen Levine describes it like this he says if you had three days to live who would you call, what would you say and why aren't you doing that now We forget. We forget sometimes before it's too late to let people know we care or to offer care to our own being. This life form is temporary. So why are we so hard on ourselves? If we think we're immortal, we'll put off indefinitely really touching this earth and touching each other and letting ourselves feel what's there. This is a poem by Mary Oliver called When Death Comes. When death comes like the hungry bear in autumn, when death comes and takes all the bright coins from his purse to buy me and snaps the purse shut, when death comes like the measle pox, when death comes like an iceberg between the shoulder blades, I want to step through the door full of curiosity wondering what is it going to be like that cottage of darkness? And therefore I look upon everything as a brotherhood and sisterhood, and I look upon time as no more than an idea, and I consider eternity as another possibility, and I think of each life as a flower, as common as a field daisy and as singular, and each name a comfortable music in the mouth tending as all music does, towards silence. And each body a lion of courage and something precious to the earth. When it's over, I want to say, all my life I was a bride married to amazement. I was the bridegroom taking the world into my arms. When it's over, I don't want to wonder if I have made of my life something particular and real. I don't want to find myself sighing and frightened or full of argument. I don't want to end up simply having visited this world. This uh, willingness to live fully in, in Buddhist um, expression is described as the bodhisattva's vow it's probably the most full flowering of this willingness it's this vow that all circumstances may awaken compassion, that all circumstances may awaken compassion and be of benefit to all beings that this moment sitting here may awaken our hearts, that it may ripple that we benefit all beings that as we drive home, as we prepare for bed, as we wake up, whatever comes tomorrow, whatever mood arises within our body-mind, whatever complication or difficulty or obstacle, whatever pleasure, that all experience serve to awaken us that we may live in freedom and that we may benefit all beings. That is the aspiration of the Bodhisattva, allowing life to touch our tender heart, this moment to be able to breathe in and feel just what's there, and allowing ourselves to breathe out, to give, to care, to be generous. To realize that the world we live in is not ours, but a shared one. We're in it together. So our path is an invitation to live fully. This practice of meditation is a means of living fully. To experience intimacy, which means real connectedness with how it is within and around us. To sense the freedom of really being fully, sincerely who we are, to live it, to express it. It means receiving with an open heart. It means letting go, exhaling, making room. To live in this world you must be able to do three things to love what is mortal to hold it against your bones knowing your own life depends on it and when the time comes to let it go to let it go So as a final meditation let's practice this a bit in quietness you'll come sitting up And as you kind of settle in and connect to your experience, intentionally sense the heart's longing, what matters. Sense what you care about. And then become at home in this moment as if it was your last moment, in this sitting as if it was your last. Saying yes to these moments, we bow to what arises, receiving with an open heart, breathing in, being touched by what is. We let go into what is, breathing out. gentle awareness saying yes to this moment. now meditating on the poem The Invitation It doesn't interest me what you do for a living I want to know what you ache for and if you dare to dream of meeting your heart's longing It doesn't interest me how old you are I want to know if you will risk looking like a fool for love, for your dreams, for the adventure of being alive it doesn't interest me what planets are squaring your moon. I want to know if you have touched the center of your sorrow, if you have been opened by life's betrayals, or have you become shriveled and closed from fear of further pain. I want to know if you can sit with pain, mine or your own, without moving to hide it or fade it or fix it. I want to know if you can be with joy, mine or your own, if you can dance with wildness and let the ecstasy fill you to the tips of your fingers and toes without cautioning us to be careful, be realistic, or to remember the limitations of being human. It doesn't interest me if the story you are telling me is true. I want to know if you can disappoint another to be true to yourself, if you can bear the accusation of betrayal and not betray your own soul, if you can be faithful and therefore be trustworthy. I want to know if you can see beauty even when it is not present every day and if you can source your own life from its presence. I want to know if you can live with failure, yours and mine, and still stand on the edge of the lake and shout to the silver of the full moon, yes. It doesn't interest me who you know or how you came to be here. I want to know if you will stand in the center of the fire with me and not shrink back. It doesn't interest me where or what or with whom you have studied. I want to know what sustains you from the inside when all else falls away. I want to know if you can be alone with yourself and if you truly like the company you keep in the empty moments. Including what's true the sounds, the sensations, the life within and around us, with a tenderness, openness, with a gentle and caring heart, saying yes. Uh, thank you tonight for your attention. And we have um, a few minutes if there's any questions or sharing, another opportunity to break through the fear of public speaking, if you have it. <laughs> Anyone? Uh, Tuesdays with Maury. Tuesdays, the date, Monday, Tuesday. Tuesdays with Maury M O R R I E, and it's so uh, it's everywhere. You can find it in any bookstore. It's, a, it's very a uh, short, beautiful book. Maury is the uh, he's at seventy eight. He's dying of Lou Gehrig's disease in this book, and it's a very slow and painful death. And he's sharing the wisdom as he is with the dying process with a young a person that's younger than him thank you